Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I want to continue a little bit along the line of where we were last week. Uh, Last week I spoke about the Bible truth that every Christian is a minister. In fact, every Christian is a full-time minister. And it was a a shortish message last week because we we wanted to shorten the service a little bit to get, uh, because we had Brenda's memorial service. And thank you, uh, uh, thank you for sticking around. I think an awful lot of you did, most of you did. I appreciate you being a part of that with us. But, uh, Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is a full-time minister. What is the distinction between, a, uh, uh, between me and you? Uh, it's not that I'm a full-time minister and you're not. It's that I'm an occupational minister, that I'm walking in a particular role of oversight. Talk a little bit about that here in a second. Uh, I just want you to think about this first. This isn't really, doesn't flow with the rest of the sermon, but it's the first thing I thought of when I wrote that down, just as a reminder, that you are a full-time minister. Remember that. Think about that. The next time you get ready to post something on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Would you be shocked if a minister posted that? Then don't post it because you're a minister. All right? Not just that. Before you speak, before you make any decision that is uh, not honoring God, ask yourself, if I read or heard about a minister doing this, would it bother me more than somebody who's not a minister? Don't do it, because you're a minister. All right? Okay, praise and worship team. You can come up. I want you to open your Bibles We'll get there in a second, but you can be opening your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. Last week, uh, I'd say this, if I were to sum it up, here are three main points from last week. One, again, we are all ministers, full-time ministers. Some of us are occupational ministers, but that is not a position of rank or greatness. Even though the, the, the Word does tell us to honor those who have spiritual oversight and who labor in the Word for our sakes, it's not about rank privilege, and greatness. Uh, Two, the path to greatness in the kingdom of heaven is what? Is it position in ministry? No, it's humility and servanthood, right? Greatest in the kingdom shall be the servant of all. And finally, and this is the point we'll be developing this morning, number three, there is not a special tier in heaven for prophets, pastors, teachers, etc., We will all be judged according to what we did with our calling and our ministry. Right? Now let's read Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. 
After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he said, sorry, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, so you ought to have deposited my money in the bank. Uh, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. First thing I want you to notice. First thing is that everything they had with which to be profitable came from who? Came from the master. These guys didn't show up with the master and saying, hey, we want to work for you. We want to invest in your in your work, in your kingdom, and here I've got five talents. No, the master just divided his goods among the servants. Everything came from the master. It does say they were uh, it was delivered each according to his abilities. And I would say their nature, their predispositions. Again, God did not uh, elevate a Billy Graham or a Kenneth Hagin above us in terms of our essential value, our essential worth. There were certain uh, inherent giftings and, and uh, again, a personal nature. I believe uh, the, these are the sort of the, the, uh, what we would call, we, even when, when the world says he's a gifted athlete, these are uh, genetic. They are something that we are born with. And God looks at us and says, this is the gift that will fit you. And he gives us the gift. He gives us the power. He gives us the tools we need to accomplish his will. Anyway, uh, they all come from the master. Second is this, and this is pretty important because it's exactly what I was talking about last week when I mentioned that we are, according to Hebrews 12, commanded to run the race that is set before us. I'm not racing you. I'm not racing Billy Graham. I'm not racing Kenneth Hagin or anybody else. They have to answer to the master according to what he gave them and the race that is set before them. What it says here is that the one with five talents who got five more was told exactly the same thing as the one with two talents who got two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. I'll make you a ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He didn't say, and I'm so glad as I read this, that he didn't say, well done, good and faithful servant, but you didn't do as well as the guy with five. He wasn't comparing 
the guy with two to the guy with five. He gave the guy two because that's what he in his position needed to do, what he was called to do. Now, So what he essentially heard was, you did what you were supposed to do with what I gave you. You ran your race well. 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is, uh, where he, this is right after he's talking about, um, you know, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control and all this. Uh, and if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now verse 10, it says this. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is an entrance, there is a making it to heaven, and then there is an abundant entrance. Look that passage up in different translations you will be richly and lavishly welcomed, uh, one translation says. Uh, but it's interesting how that's rendered. They all say essentially the same thing, but sometimes the, the, the different language is a little more vibrant and helps you to kind of grasp, grasp what God is saying through Peter here. Anyway, Peter here is starting off talking about personal purity, holiness. And he goes on to say that when we do these things, we will be fruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that fruitfulness must lead to ministry. If I can put it a little crassly, fruitful ministry is a side effect of knowing Jesus Christ. Fruitful ministry is a side effect of knowing Jesus Christ. Not just being saved, but knowing Him. Let me show you what I mean by that. We'll go back to the rest of that passage in Matthew. He tells the third servant, the one who he gave one talent to, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. I was listening to Jeremy Pearson's uh, just not too long ago. He was look, looking at this passage. And he said, notice he called him wicked and lazy. Now the laziness... We can see that, obviously, but he didn't just say, you lazy servant. Laziness is a sin. The Bible tells us about the, the dangers of sloth, but he didn't say, you're wicked because you're lazy. He said, you are wicked and you're lazy. He must be talking about something else. And what is it? it it's that he didn't know who his master was. He didn't know his master. He badly, badly mischaracterized his master, didn't he? All right? What did he say? You are a, hard, a, a harsh man, a hard man, and you, you like to reap where you didn't plant. Is that true? Where did his talent come from? Where did the five talents come from? Where did the two talents come from? That was the master's seed that he sowed into these guys' lives. Did, right? He didn't say, I'm going on a journey. I want you to take everything you own and uh, trade with it and give me, the, give me the fruit of that when I come back. No, these are my goods. I'm delivering them to you. I'm investing. I'm planting these things in you. And I expect to see it multiplied when I return. And so he is actually reaping exactly where he sowed. 
not where he didn't sow. And he's increasing the reward and the responsibility of the good and faithful servants. This doesn't look like a hard master. This looks like a fair master to me, doesn't it to you? So when we see verse 30, cast into outer darkness, wailing and gnashing of teeth, sounds a little bit like uh, hell, right? But when we read this, are we supposed to say, what? This guy lost his salvation because of lack of works? That doesn't sound like the gospel of grace. No, what we should read when we see this is, I don't think this guy ever knew his master at all. You know, a lot of Christians joke. I see this a lot. Uh, they'll say something, um, oh, if you, uh, you don't eat at Chick-fil-A, are you even saved? You know, something, you, and it's playful, and it's fine. I get a kick out of that kind of thing. I took a lot of flack when I posted uh, a, a hard truth that the Lord revealed to me that Popeye's serves a vastly superior chicken sandwich. And when I posted that, a lot of people were like, oh, we're, we need to, you, need to be, you need deliverance. Uh, you're probably gonna, we need to have an intervention. Uh, your board's going to meet. I think that's a fireable offense, this sort of thing. And that's, 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 what I was, that's the kind of reaction I was looking for. And that's fine. That's all in good fun. But when someone has no interest in serving the Lord who saved them, because I question if they're saved, it becomes a legitimate question. Because the more we know him, the greater our desire to serve him should become. You hear this? When I question the salvation of somebody who's not serving the Lord, it's not because, hey, you're not working hard enough to be saved. It's how can you know the same Jesus I know and not want to serve him? I love this story. This is from William Manchester's biography of Winston Churchill. He uh, spends two and a half, nearly three pages giving examples of how impatient and verbally abusive Churchill was to his secretaries and his servants, his assistants. In fact, at one point, and this was practically unheard of, unheard of a manservant actually stood up for himself, and there was a huge argument. And when the argument was over, Churchill just got really pouty. He stuck out his lip and he said, you really were very rude to me, you know. And the servant responded, well, you were rude to me also. And Churchill said, yes, but I am a great man. Can you imagine a public figure saying something like that today? Kind of. Can you imagine? We don't have to imagine. We see what the press does with things like that, right? But check this out. After he said, yes, but I'm a great man, later the servant said, there was no answer to that. He knew, as I and the rest of the world knew, that he was right. It's better. There's more examples in the, in the pages of this biography of his pettiness, his inability or unwillingness to ever even apologize, an explosive temper. And there's this, and I quote, he believes he is a superior being entitled to exceptional forbearance and special privilege and not subject to judgment by the rules of polite society. What is striking is that those who work for him, tolling long hours, underpaid, and subject to savage, undeserved reprimands, agree with him. 
They feel the sting of his whip, yet he continues to command their respect, even their love. Those who are shocked by Churchill's treatment of his employees all have this in common. They never worked for him. Now this is someone who was a harsh master. And all of this, by the way, was long before he was prime minister. This stage in his life, when they're talking about when he was writing, all these secretaries were necessary because he's composing volumes of biographies and histories in his own mind, and he's just randomly spitting this stuff out. Somebody had to constantly be typing or writing or recording him. But this was when he was in the political wilderness. He was on the outs. This was right after, by the way, you might can tell I'm a big Churchill fan, in uh, uh, early 30s, I think, Stalin was hosting a British delegation, a reception in Moscow, and he asked, who, who, are the, who are the politicians that we need to be paying attention to? And Lady Astor, who was there as a representative of the delegate, said, oh, uh, I think she said, Chamberlain is the up-and-coming man. And Stalin said, what about Churchill? And she said, Churchill? Oh, he's finished. Wasn't quite finished, was he? And everybody in Churchill's circle knew that. They knew they were in the presence of greatness. Churchill couldn't, talk about underpaid, he couldn't afford to pay uh, uh, his, his secretaries and his assistants very much. He wasn't making anything. But they knew they were in the presence of greatness. Again, I'm, I don't want to belabor this. They were willing to endure this abuse because they believed in something and someone greater than themselves, and they considered it a, a privilege to play whatever part in his great work that they were allowed to. Hold that thought while you turn to uh, Luke chapter 11. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus, uh, we read about Jesus, and he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give you, rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. In Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What you need to understand about these two stories is that Jesus is not saying, here's what God is like. He's like a friend who's sleeping, and you, but if you, he doesn't really want to help you, but if you bother him enough, he will. Uh, here's another thing God is like. He's like a judge uh, with no sense of right and wrong. And he doesn't care about his fellow human being. But he'll still dispense justice if you bother him enough. 
That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying that if a guy like this judge or even a friend who's asleep and the house is all locked, if they will ultimately do the right thing, how much more will a perfect, holy, loving God do good things for his children who ask him? Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So when we go to God in prayer, what is our mindset? Do we approach apologetically? Like we're interrupting God's quiet time? Or his much-needed rest? Like the friend at midnight? Do we approach desperately, determined to get something from God that he has no personal interest in giving us? If that's our mindset, we don't know him. And if we have this wrong image of God, this wrong idea of his attitude about us, we will avoid him until it is necessary to invoke his help. When we need something, and God is the only one who can help us, then we'll go to God, but we want to avoid him other, uh, other times because we don't have the right idea about him. If, on the other hand, if we know him, if we are acquaint, acquainted with his ways, you know, Psalm 103, it says uh, in verse 7, he made his ways known to Moses. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. There's knowing what God does and there's kind of knowing how he does it. And Moses had this intimate relationship with God where he didn't just know what God did. He knew the ways of God. And if we know his deeds and his ways. Anyway, we will, we will not only persist in prayer, but we will be eager to be a part of everything God is doing on the earth. We will consider it a privilege to be laboring for his glory. Be careful with hearing what I'm saying here. The Churchill story was kind of my version of the unjust judge. I'm contrasting. I'm not comparing. I'm saying if the lowly servants of Churchill could work as hard and faithfully as they did for a man with so many faults and who apparently had very little care for them personally, how much more should we be willing to work and work hard for the Father who is faultless and who is utterly invested in us personally? who is committed to our good. What does this look like in practical terms? I will offer you three things to consider as starting points. Number one, give faithfully. Give obediently. Give generously and give expectantly. If your heart is not in the right place, you will not serve as you are called to serve. There is a correct way to serve. And we'll talk about that next week. This is going to go at least another week. So get your heart in the right place. How do you get your heart in the right place? Wasn't too long ago we talked about this. Uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Identify the right place. Identify the place you want your heart to be and give. Also this. Money is important. And the Bible never pretends it isn't. Money is a terrible master, and love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but money is an important tool. God knows how hard we work for that money, and so it honors him when we obey him with the tithe and the offering. 
I'd put it this way. Being faithful in the tithe and the offering is one clear way of serving the master, of being a good and faithful servant. Two, find one way, at least one way beyond the tithe to serve the church. You're here, so I know you know this, but man, it is tiring to hear people still saying after all these years, oh, I'm spiritual, I love Jesus, I just don't really have any use for organized religion, so I don't go to church. Well, guess what? Jesus is very much into church. He is building his church, and we are meant to assemble with our company, our companions, and do this thing in concert. I almost considered a comment about being a lone wolf, but if you're out there without uh, a company, an assembly, a commitment to a church, you're not a lone wolf, you're a lone sheep. And a lone sheep is in a lot of danger, right? We are the sheep of his pasture. I know we don't like to be called sheep in this political climate, but that's what he calls us, right? We are, but we are his sheep, and we are safe when we are together and with him. Finally, number three, remember that when you walk out of this assembly, you are a minister. Look for opportunities to speak into other people's lives about your faith and live your life in such a way that they take you seriously when you do. That they, You should never be living your life in such a way that you are embarrassed when people find out you're a Christian because you have misrepresented God. Live so that people can take you seriously when you share your faith. Praise the worship team, you can be making your way up here. Here's my invitation to you. you know, why don't you go ahead and stand? Everybody. I want to talk to you about a job opportunity. The work is challenging. In fact, depending on which uh, branch you are stationed at, it's potentially a dangerous job. But the benefits, they're out of this world, as they say, right? You will be given everything you need to do the job well, to do it effectively. You'll be given equipment, you'll be given training, and you'll be surrounded by co-workers who are not competing with you, but are on your side. They are for you. And the boss, best boss in the world. Best boss ever. You will find, in fact, if you accept this job offer, that you're not even working for pay or for rewards, you will just find yourself working to please the boss. He's that good. And you'll find the work so fulfilling that you want to do the work just to please him. But you get paid anyway. You will encounter people whether you take this job or not who will speak very critically of the boss. They will tell you how harshly he treats people and how unfair he is and how petty he is. Those people have this in common. They never worked for him. They don't even know him. 
So don't take the, un, the, the unemployed's work, uh, word for how good a boss he is. Come work for, him your, for yourself and see. And of course, it's much more than a job opportunity. It's not just a job. Oh, come on, anybody remember that? It's an adventure. It's not just a job, it's an adventure. It's a mission. But it's also an extravagant gift. He invites you to participate in his own life. And he gives you the Holy Spirit in order to know him, in order to serve him, and in order to share him with others. But it starts with this. You come to the table with nothing. In fact, you ought to be humble enough. And when you meet this guy, you'll know what I mean. When you're in his presence, you realize everything that I thought was great about me is not only not as great as I thought it was, it's actually a liability. He looks at you and says, I love you. And I want you as part of this. Only thing we need to do, it's really not fair to call it tweaking, but we need to get rid of everything that's you and replace it with everything that's me. I want you to consider yourself dead at this point because I'm going to give you the best thing anybody could ever give you, which is a brand new life. And once you sign on the dotted line, once you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will realize what you've been missing. The community of believers that you're surrounded with. With all their imperfections and with all their remaining flaws, you will find that the life of Christ flows through this body. Not just this local body, but the body of Christ. But certainly we believe in this local assembly, right? There is no better place to be. There's no safer place to be. And you really don't have a choice. If you are going to see eternity in the presence of the Father, you have to accept the Son. Salvation only comes on His terms. But the terms are incredibly generous. He has done all the work. And the things that he calls you to do, he doesn't call you to do them so that you can earn your place in heaven. That is automatically, once you make that agreement, once you submit yourself to his lordship, heaven is secure for you. The work he calls you to do is for other people. And it's ultimately for your rewards, but it's not for your eternal destiny. But every, here's the thing, everything he calls you to do, everything he calls you to do, he gives you the power to do it gives you the equipment to do it, surrounds you with the right people to do it. Now, every one of us is called. Every one of us is gifted. Every one of us needs to take that seriously. So the first question is this. How, is there anybody in here who has never signed on the dotted line, accepted those terms of employment, accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and made Jesus Christ your Lord, and you want to do it today? Anybody? All right. Is there anybody in here who's like, yeah, I know I said I prayed that prayer. I believed it. I haven't been living like I believed it. And it's not getting me anywhere. I'm not saying your life, I'm not saying you're at rock bottom right now. I'm saying don't wait until you are. Anything you're pursuing besides him is ultimately futile. Wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to be burned with fire. Only what you, you accomplish for the kingdom is going to remain. So you're ready to say, yeah, I, uh, I've, been, I've taken an unauthorized leave of absence. It's a relief to know I haven't been fired, but I'm ready to get back to work. 
I'm ready to recommit my life to the Lord and live like the Christian that I know he wants me to be. Just be. I'm not going to have you come up here, uh, but if you'll raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me, Pastor. I need, I need to kick it into high gear and take it seriously. Praise the Lord. We've got a room full of saved people who are turned on and taking this seriously. I guess I just wasted 45 minutes because it was a different group of people that needed to hear this. No, I'm kidding. It's never a waste. You be encouraged. And if you're challenged and maybe think, yeah, maybe some things do, if you want to talk to me about some detailed stuff, I would love to. I just want to remind you, every single one of you is called to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you can't work a secular job. Doesn't mean you can't have fun. It means we always keep our eyes on the prize. And while we're working a secular job, while we're having fun, we're not doing anything to disqualify us or damage our ministry. Amen? Um, let me pray this prayer, and I'm going to ask you again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the callings and the gifts you've placed on us and the opportunity you give us to serve you. It's my prayer right now, Lord God, that if there's anybody in here, anybody who does not know you as Father, does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that they would come to recognize him today, come to know you today. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and convict the sinner of sin, of every person of their need for salvation, and grant them the humility the boldness, and the wisdom to receive that gift today. For all of us, Lord, I pray that we would wake up every day remembering who we work for. We know you're our Father. We know that we are in Christ. But we're, you're, you're a good boss, Lord. You're a good master. And it's a privilege to be serving in your kingdom. Jesus' name, we thank you again. Amen. Is there anybody again who needs to make that decision for Christ today? I don't want you walking out of here unsaved. Don't waste one more day not doing what you were called to do. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.